I'm Kalele Kalona, and this is Nashville. The English writer G.K. Chesterton once said, Chesterton, pardon me, once said, we'll make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. Getting along with that neighbor is on us. But there is strength in numbers, and neighborhood associations can do a lot of good, like stopping unwanted development or just organizing events to bring a community closer together. With more people moving to Nashville, our city is changing. And in the process, some of our city's neighborhood associations are struggling. Today, we'll invite some local association members to talk about their wins and their concerns for the future. But first, one of President Biden's nominees for a federal prosecutor position in Tennessee is drawing sharp criticism. Advocates for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are calling on the administration to withdraw the nomination of Casey Arrowwood. He's up for the post of U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Tennessee. WPLN's Mariana Bacayao has been following this story, and she's here with the latest. Hey, Mariana, welcome back to This is Nashville. Hey, Khalil. So, okay, how did one of Tennessee's U.S. attorneys end up drawing this kind of backlash? Well, as Assistant U.S. Attorney Casey Arrowwood was the main prosecutor in a pretty high-profile case that AAPI advocates say was part of the China Initiative that was a Trump-era crackdown on academics with ties to China, the program and Arrowwood's case was widely criticized for unfairly targeting professors of Chinese descent. Okay, so let's talk about the case. Who did Arrowwood prosecute? Well, that would be University of Tennessee Knoxville professor Anming Hu. He's a world-renowned nanotechnology expert. He's made contributions to NASA in the past, and during the summers, he used to take on some students from his alma mater, the Beijing University of Technology. And those last two tidbits, his NASA grants and his summer job, is what the FBI used to launch their investigation. Okay, so that's how Hu got on their radar. Well, it... Uh, all started with a Google search and hmm. a web page run through Google Translate that was revealed at trial by one of the FBI agents who spearheaded the case against him. After that, FBI agents started coming by whose office, asking him to become a double agent. They surveilled him and his son, who was a UTK student at the time. They seized his belongings when he tried to board an international flight to Japan. And FBI agents gave presentations to whose employers at UTK, telling him, telling them that he was a spy. But when he was arrested, there was no evidence that he had committed espionage. Instead, he was charged with defrauding NASA. So what else happened after his arrest? Yeah, so Professor Hu was arrested in early 2020, and he was put on house arrest. Arrowwood had originally tried to argue that Hu was a flight risk and that he should stay in jail until the trial, but some of the congregation from whose church testified on his behalf. Still, Hu loses his job, so he's unable to work. He has all these legal fees. His son, who was a student at UTK, has to go back to Canada, where Hu's family lives, so... You know, we were all confined to our homes that summer, mm -hmm. but who couldn't legally pass the boundaries of his yard? Mm. And the pandemic delays his case. So it ends up being nearly two years before who is able to go back to work. This trial was pretty closely watched. Tell us about some of the twists and turns. Well, the prosecution essentially builds their case on this 2011 law, which prohibits NASA from collaborating with Chinese universities. 
Most cases that have been attributed to the China initiative have to do with wire fraud rather than the espionage the program was supposed to uncover. But, you know, when you think wire fraud, you think about someone in local government or a nonprofit, you know, skipping money off the top or buying themselves lavish gifts. But in whose case, wire fraud meant the money he got from the NASA grants, that money doesn't actually go to who, it goes to UTK, it, it goes to the students who participated in the research for NASA. It's not Cadillac money, mm-hmm. but the prosecution needs to prove that who intentionally deceived NASA and UTK by hiding his summer job with his alma mater, except who didn't really hide that information. He put it in his first NASA grant application and his tenure package to UTK. So how did the case end? The jury deadlocks and the judge writes a memorandum about how no jury would be able to convict based on the evidence. I spoke with Nashville lawyer Jing Gen. She's also a board member for API of Middle Tennessee. She signed her name in opposition to Arrowwood's nomination. The China Initiative was just, to me, blatantly racial profiling, um, even though the government said that it wasn't about bias. Um, it was about economic espionage and national security. Hmm. All right, so flash forward. Who was reinstated in his position earlier this year with back pay? And the DOJ announced the end of the China initiative earlier this year. That's a happy ending, isn't it? Uh, not exactly. When I spoke with Hu about it in the spring, he was cautiously optimistic. He said that he welcomes the change, but that he would be keeping his eye on whether they would be real action behind this name change. There were some fears in the AAPI community that it was just rebranding and that the program would continue. Well, tell us about the reaction once Biden's nomination of Arrowwood went public and how his administration Responded. How have they responded since? Well, who wrote a letter to the Biden administration first, sort of rehashing everything that happened to him during the trial? And AAPI groups around the country then sent their own letter in support of who? Now, there hasn't been any official announcement, but who tells me that staffers with the Biden administration did reach out to him to hear his story? And he shared with me a similar sentiment from the last time we spoke. But I ask them to take action. So that if we don't uh, really learn the lessons, if we really not change, similar case could happen and will damage the long term the history of this country. And who sort of touches on another criticism here that his case and others like it damage America's reputation in the global scientific community? Wow. So what's next? The Biden administration could withdraw their nomination. The Senate could choose to pause the vote until Arrowwood has been investigated for whose trial. That's what AAPI advocacy groups called for in their letter. Or Arrowwood could be confirmed without support from the AAPI community. You know, Tennessee's own Marsha Blackburn is on the Senate Judiciary Committee that votes on Arrowwood's nomination. Her office, along with Biden's did not respond to my request for comment and Arrowwood's declined to comment. But Blackburn has been a vocal supporter of the China initiative. Now, there's no date set for that vote yet, so we're still waiting. Mm-hmm. That was WPLN's Mariana Bacayao. You can read her full story at WPLN.org. Mariana, thanks for coming on to the show and thanks for your reporting. Thanks for having me. 
We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with a few members of our city's neighborhood associations and hear what they're up to. Are you a part of a neighborhood association? Do you want to join one? Yeah. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. And this is Nashville. Recently, WPLN's Tony Gonzalez visited a farm in Antioch to check out a new community project. Volunteers are tending to a huge pumpkin patch, and in the process, they're also trying to bridge generations in the Cane Ridge community. The centerpiece this year is the field of big green leaves with hundreds of pops of orange peeking through. 13 rows of 65 pumpkins in each row, 10 different varieties. I'm surveying the patch with Jay Renfro, an educator with Tennessee Nature Academy. His crew of student volunteers have already harvested hundreds of tiny white pumpkins, some pale green ones, and those bright red Cinderella's. But there's one huge one, bigger than a beanbag chair, that's still getting as much time as possible on the vine. I could see that orange <laughs> glow from the street. How big is that pumpkin? Any ballpark idea? So the seeds are from the Guinness Book World Record holder. So ours is gonna maybe break 500 pounds would be nice, but that's still a really big pumpkin. <laughs> I can sit on it with my complete weight. My goal is to get it big enough to hollow out to be able to use as a boat. <laughs> that's, my, that's my aspiration. One of his students is Fran Paul Lobo, a Cane Ridge High School senior. He's been tending these fields for months and has his own theory about that giant one. Every day we always, we always go over there and, you know, give it a little tap. That's definitely, that's definitely what's making it bigger. I love tap. <laughs> there is a rich farming history in this area and also many newcomers in what is one of the state's most diverse zip codes. There also used to be a pumpkin patch nearby until that land got developed. What's important to know is that farmers, you know, when they when they pass and the farm gets developed, sometimes the traditions just disband and discontinue. And it really is up to us to create the next generation's memories and experiences. One of the reasons this is possible is help from the local neighborhood association, the Cane Ridge Community Club. They helped find this open farmland and they've spread the word about the project. It's really been a shared purpose that a lot of folks have gotten behind, because I know at least my generation, they don't want to just like get together for a meeting just to get together. But if but if you're getting together to come to a fall festival, that's that's like fun. Or if you're getting together to solve some sort of problem with a developer, that, like, that's, that's a purpose that you have together. So that may be one reason why the Cane Ridge Community Club is still active, is because there are a few shared purposes, even if it's just the, you know, community trying to fight developers. <laughs> that came to us from WPLN Special Projects Editor, Tony Gonzalez. Joining me now is someone who knows all about the work neighborhood associations do. Twana Chick is president of the Cane Ridge Community Club and has been involved with them since 2015. Twana, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Such a pleasure to have you with us. So this pumpkin patch sounds really cool. Tell me, what do you hope the project will bring to the neighborhood? It is another way to bring neighborhood members together and to 
learn about what makes Cane Ridge special. We have not only a diversity of people, but a diversity of neighborhoods, a diversity of development types. And the more we learn about one another, the stronger our community becomes and the safer we all become. What is the mission of the Cane Ridge Community Club? Like, what are some of the things that you all do there? The, the most longstanding tradition we have is getting together as a community for a potluck once each month, uh, the first Monday of each month, and having just a meal together. And we often have a guest speaker. Um, and it's a way to meet your neighbors um, over food and get to know what makes each other tick. And it also empowers neighbors to feel comfortable reaching out to one another and to watch out for each other's homes and other needs that they may have. Um, So that's our most longstanding tradition. Other things that we get together around include trying to make sure that reasonable development happens so that everyone's needs are met, both the community and the developers. Now, tell me, in what ways has the CRCC been successful in preserving the community? One example is a development that is in progress uh, down near Old Franklin and Cane Ridge Road, and they ended up preserving uh, something like 50% of the property and are developing walking trails and pathways around some existing bodies of water that will be open to the community to utilize. So they developed a much smaller footprint uh, in exchange for some um, reasonableness on other aspects of their development that worked well for them. And so both the community benefited and the developer benefited. What ways do you think, how do you think that that partnership works? What ways do you think it works? Communication, uh, hearing one another, We have a set of standards called the Cane Ridge Community Resource Declaration that the community members adopted several years ago. And so we use that as our guiding document. And we also have a set of building standards that we review with the developers. And there has to be a lot of give and take. It's definitely communication. Sometimes there's frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, but we work through those things and try to hear one another and try to find outcomes that work as well as possible for everyone involved. Now, my next guest helps groups like the CRCC organize. Jim Hawk is president of Neighbor to Neighbor, a nonprofit that works and trains neighborhood leaders all across Nashville. Jim, thanks for being with us and welcome to uh, This is Nashville. It's good to be here, Khalil. Thank you. Now, we heard about some successes from Tuana. What other kind of work do neighborhood associations do? Whatever whatever you can imagine that happens in neighborhoods, there are neighbors working to address the issues or, or, or try to improve their neighborhoods. So, for instance, um, we have a Parkwood neighborhood in uh, District 3 that's really working on litter issues uh, and helping their residents to understand that they – our owners in the community, um, and, and, and the work that they've done has actually brought um, litter down in their area. Mm-hmm. We have others that are working in safety issues. Um, we have one neighborhood that is really 
was at one time considered the most um, had the most crime in in Davidson County. They came together as a neighborhood organization, and they saw their crime drop in half. So it just depends on on what's going on in the neighborhood. Um, but we have them all over the city that are doing different things. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Dropping crime in half. Yeah. Now, you know Twana well, as she's gone through the program at Neighbor to Neighbors. Hey, Twana. <laughs> hey, Jim. So, I love it. So, tell me, how does Neighbor to Neighbor, how does that help foster and train neighborhood leaders? So, we take, uh, there, there's, there's, for instance, right now, there's probably a listener who's thinking, mm, I should get involved in my neighborhood, but I'm not really sure what to do. Um, they can call us up. Uh, and we can talk to them about what their interests are, what their what we call neighborhood passion is, um, and help them to unleash that on their neighborhood. Um, it may be that they're interested in historic preservation. It may be that they're interested in caring for neighbors. But what we do is is try to listen, discover what people are interested in, and then give them some some tools so that they can go out and make a difference. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about the state of our neighborhood associations, what they do, and what type of impact they're making. Now, Tawana, you went through the program. Tell me a little bit about your experience with Neighbor to Neighbor. I was involved with that program in its early years, and they have consistently brought diverse uh persons together with different skill sets to all learn how to move towards a common goal and to do it in a way that um, works through obstacles and uh, enhances communication skills, finds common talking points, um, identifies strengths in people and takes advantage of those strengths for the benefit of the group. Um, They do good with planning and uh, just keeping people engaged and involved and maybe most importantly, letting them see the value of what they do, of what a group of people can do and what individuals within that group can accomplish. Now, okay, Jim, let's back up a little bit. I mean, why are neighborhood associations so important, especially as our city and county continue expanding and experiencing so much change? So if you can imagine Davidson County as one big quilt, Mm -hmm. and all of those different patches are our neighborhoods, uh, and they all need to be cared for. Uh, The city cannot do it on its own. Uh, There is no one institution that can. Uh, And so what we really need are groups of caretakers taking care of their part of the quilt. Uh, Sometimes that means preserving it. Sometimes it means improving it. But without those caretakers, without those individuals willing to come together and work to create positive change, um, a neighborhood begins to fall into decay. And when it falls into decay, then we begin to have more and more problems. Uh, So those caretakers are are vitally important to the success of that neighborhood and ultimately to the success of the whole city. So if we don't have caretakers in every neighborhood, then we have a city that's broken. That that takes organizing and organization efforts, right? That's right. Now, Tawana, your neighborhood organizing has been pretty effective, but you all have issues of your own, right? Yes. Everyone is working almost to 100% capacity. 
Uh, technology has allowed us to do more multitasking than perhaps is sustainable. So everyone is just working to their max, and we continue to experience growth, and so that means there is simply more to do. There are more projects to try to keep up with, more developments coming in. Um, Cane Ridge is spread across three council districts, so we're trying to keep up with three different council members and the projects that are brought to them. Uh, so it is simply an issue of time and not having enough time for all that is occurring. So you all are working to your max. Like It's like having a second or third job in some cases. Have you been able to recruit new members to help distribute the load? We have. We have new folks moving into the area who moved into the area because of the qualities that we are trying to sustain. And nothing gets people motivated motivated like finding out something is happening in their back door. So in those instances, those persons do become involved. And then they find out along the way that, hey, I kind of like my neighbors and I enjoy these connections that are going on, like getting to find out about a pumpkin farm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a wonderful thing for people, and it becomes something that families can be involved with. So we are able to recruit a few new folks, uh, not as many perhaps as we would like. But, again, that goes back to everyone has very full plates. We really enjoy having a little slice of those plates because a little bit goes a long way with neighborhood groups. Are some of the new members, are they younger people? Yes, some are. Uh, Mr. Renfro that you spoke with earlier is definitely on the the younger side. Um, So we are able to reach out and and make connections with folks of all ages. So, Jim, tell me, you know, not every neighborhood association has been able to have younger people come in. So when you see the issue of younger people and new residents not being super involved in their neighborhood association, what are some of the solutions that come to mind for you? So first of all, we're all busy. Um, and and we, yeah. we got a life that, you know, just keeps us moving along all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important for people who are going to get involved in a, in a neighborhood group um, to be really good at time management, to be able to say, this is what I can do um, and I can't do any more than that. Um, clearly communicating that, what you can do and what your limitations are, really help in the success. Um, we have a lot of people that come in who are really enthusiastic and say they'll do everything. Um, and so we really don't want that to happen. The other is we we need to be able to find ways. Uh, when we work with neighborhood groups, most people start around the age of 35. So that means that most of the people who are involved in neighborhood associations are in their 50s, 60s, or even older. Um, we really need to get it down to high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need to find ways to work with teens. We need to find ways to work with young adults that is inclusive. And one of the key things that the gentleman said in that pumpkin uh, field interview uh, was, you know, I don't want to go to meetings just to go to meetings, right? If we're going to engage that group, we have to engage them in the issues that they're interested in, um, and they really do have to be issues and not just, hey, let's get together type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Twana, tell me, what do you think all of this says about Nashville and its priorities? 
that we just have so many challenges. And like Jim just said, getting people to commit a little bit of time and understanding the benefits um, is difficult. Um, the challenges are for the entire county. It's it's not just Cane Ridge. It's, you know, Jolton, it's Bellevue, it's Old Hickory. Every side is experiencing this rapid growth. But if we don't take the time to be involved in our community organizations and make our voice heard, then we do risk losing what makes Nashville so attractive to all these multitudes of people living here. And just like I mentioned a moment ago, we have three council members in our area, and they can't keep up with everything. They also are pretty dependent on neighborhood organizations to provide some feedback to them so that they know what the 10,000 or so people that they represent are experiencing and feeling and needing and hopeful for. Um, so it's, it's a way of having a voice that is unique and positive and good for everyone. That was Twana Chick, president of the Cane Ridge Community Club. Twana, thanks so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll look into more of the challenges that our neighborhood groups are facing and how some of those challenges can be solved. What challenges are you facing in your neighborhood? How are you meeting them? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. We're talking this hour about neighborhood associations in our city and county. These are groups of people who are working to improve and preserve their neighborhoods. And when I say working, a lot of that is really volunteering. Over the past few years, these vital groups have faced increasing challenges as members age out and communities change rapidly. To help us get a better sense of these challenges, I'd like to bring in my next guest. Tiffany Archer is a member of the North Nashville Organization for Community Improvement, or NNOCI, which advocates for residents near Fisk University and has been around for more than 30 years. Tiffany, thanks for being here today. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure to have you. So, you know, tell me about your involvement with NNOCI and how did, how did you become a member? Well, I moved to the neighborhood, me and my husband, in 2018. And we were really looking for how to become more active and involved in our community. There was election season was going on at that time. And um, when we went to some of the community forums, we met some community members who stated, oh, there's a community organization right there in your neighborhood, in an OCI, you guys should join. They gave us the contact information and we didn't think twice. We joined and have been active members ever since. How were you welcomed to the group? Uh, very open-armed. Uh, these, uh, our members are very welcoming. Um, they know a lot of history about the neighborhood. 
Um, they know what's going on in the neighborhood, what can be improved. They can help younger younger members and younger um, people who have not been in the neighborhood for a long time. They can help them to find their way. And that's exactly what we needed as we were new to the Nashville area as well. From what I understand, you are one of the younger members of the group, right? Yes. So does does that so-called generation gap, does that cause any difficulty? Yes, it does. Um, Some things that I can specifically point out are what we're doing right now. You know, with the pandemic, we haven't been in person meeting. We've been meeting virtually. And for instance, computer literacy and that kind of thing has is also kind of a generational, uh, you know, it's like, well, should I, can I call in? When are we going to meet again? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. they don't really have that. And then also just the way of looking at our neighborhood, our neighborhood has changed. You know, some of these members, they live in the neighborhood for 30, 40, 50 years. They don't, uh, you know, to embrace all of the changes and how quickly things are going, you know, it's probably a little bit more hesitant on their behalf, just because, you know, they've had this be a constant for them for so long. And now, you know, neighborhoods are being, old houses are being torn down and new things are being built right before their eyes. Talk to me about that, that development. Is that fear, is that a fear that older residents are having about the neighborhood with so much development happening? Yes, Yes, it is. Um, In an OCI, our boundary area, what is unique to us and to some other neighborhoods in Nashville is that we do have a historical overlay. So really, um, uh, when it comes to coding, coding, but zoning, they the city has allowed for single family homes to be the predominance. So when we look at these big pieces of land that are in our neighborhood, um, like there's some bigger pieces of land in our boundaries that are closer to TSU and big developers want to come in and do a wide variety of things. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) How are we going to accommodate like traffic in our our little tiny neighborhood and what exactly are you trying to build? It's like they, we really want to get to making sure that this is the best thing for our community. And that's when, you know, these older members, they've seen these type of changes come about or be proposed and know how to deal with that. They have that experience. Now, One thing we talked about was neighborhoods and associations looking for new and younger members. And my next guest is a young person who might fit the description. Carson Cooper lives in South Nashville, and she joins us now. Carson, welcome to This is Nashville. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Really great to have you with us. So let me make sure I get this right. You live in South Nashville, but your neighborhood doesn't have a recognized name. Is that right? Yeah, I'm in one of those areas that is definitely a victim to sprawl. So it's kind of hard to know where the boundaries are. And we actually don't have an organized association or even a Facebook group or next door um, virtual presence. You said organized sprawl. Describe your neighborhood for me. 
So we have, um, we're right off of Nolansville Pike, which is, you know, a spread out um, car focused arterial. And so my neighborhood being just adjacent to that, we actually don't have any sidewalks. Um, some of the streets don't have street lights. So there's not a lot of infrastructure there to support community. Um, there's no parks and a lot of the streets are just kind of pass throughs and cut throughs to other arterials in the area. So you've got low infrastructure. How did you initially make connections with your neighbors despite those obstacles? So I moved into the area in 2020, so peak of the pandemic. Um, and just to get out of the house, my partner and I would walk the neighborhood despite the lack of sidewalks. Um, and so we started meeting people that way because, you know, they also didn't want to be stuck in their homes and we saw them in their yards and we would just socially distant chit chat. Um, and we started to really understand who lived in our neighborhood, um, you know, the various kind of history of the homes, which ones were newer and older, and then just started noticing some more of the issues in our neighborhood. Um, previously, you know, they talked about litter. Litter is a big problem in our neighborhood. So we started just picking up trash when we went on our walks and we met some people that way too, because they would thank us for doing it. So it was a good old fashioned neighborhood walk that got you introduced to your neighbors and aware of some of the problems that you have, right? Yeah, definitely. So I understand you took matters into your own hands and organized a block party. How did that come about? Yeah, so now that the pandemic has kind of settled and, you know, events are happening again, um, I really wanted to bring some of the neighbors together because even though I individually made some connections, I definitely didn't know everyone and I knew that maybe they didn't know each other. Um, and we've been talking about, you know, new development. We've had a lot of new construction just on my block. So I wanted some of the newer faces to get invested in the community. Um, and because there's no organization or association, I re re really relied on my council representative, Sandra Sepulveda. Um, and she's actually the youngest council member. So I think we both uh, kind of found pride in us being uh, civically engaged at a young age. Mm -hmm. And um, I really relied on her to get the word out and navigate, you know, a road closure permit and what kind of things we should have at the block party. Um, it was, you know, it's simultaneously Hispanic Heritage Month, and that's really representative of the neighborhood. So she really helped um, include things that would be inclusive and translate materials so that everyone would feel welcome at the block party. Jim Hawk from Neighbor to Neighbor is still with us. Jim, you know, what are your thoughts hearing Carson describe her situation? Well, first of all, I want to congratulate Carson for the work that she's done. Um, that's, that's what we need are people like Carson in every neighborhood who is going to see something that can be done and, and then do it. Um, and so for us, this is, this is what we're about is finding people like Carson and saying, come on, uh, be part of this program, be part of, be part of the movement to make our neighbor, all of our neighborhoods, great neighborhoods to live in. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking about neighborhood associations and how they're surviving during times of change. Okay, so Carson, you just heard Jim. Do you have an interest in joining a traditional or creating a traditional neighborhood association? I definitely do, especially after how the block party went. Um, I think we had a really decent turnout. 
And we did as much as we could to get the word out, but, you know, it probably just didn't reach everyone because they didn't know where to turn. Um, you know, some people aren't even engaged enough to know who their council representative is. So I think we learned a lot, um, me and Sandra, through the experience and making a more formal avenue for community members would be really helpful, um, especially because even putting on the block party, there's like some barriers with cost and, you know, navigating Metro code. Um, and we've been talking about, you know, getting younger people involved. I think a barrier to that is um, renters and, you know, the affordability crisis in Nashville, there's a lot of rented homes in my neighborhood. So people just don't feel invested as much um, in the neighborhood, even though they live there. So I think creating a more, formal structure or organization for people to go to, even if they're a renter or, you know, if they're having problems with their landlord, they could rely on their community organization to help mitigate it. So I think it would be a really helpful thing. I definitely learned a lot through the block party and just going through that experience of trying to organize something. And keep on throwing block parties because, you know, in the places I've rented, block parties always drew myself and other block partiers out. Um, so, you know, Tiffany, you're a person who's trying to get younger people in your neighborhood involved in the NNOCI. And we have Carson, who isn't exactly sure that, you know, she wants to start an organization, but they don't have anything yet. You know, what's your reaction to Carson's story? Are, are you getting any ideas of how to get younger people involved in NNOCI? Yes. Um, well, we did start um, a social media I wouldn't say campaign, but we at least started some social media accounts to try to recruit members both on Facebook and the uh, app next door so that hopefully people will identify, okay, I am in the boundary areas and this is something that will allow me to advocate for my community and find information about my community. Um, and so we're hoping that that will help. Um, but I I completely agree with the interactive nature of a block party. Um, that's something that um, we have tried to do in the past as well, being involved with the Nashville Night Out Against Crime and other community uh, events. But I mean, organizing even more, I think would get a younger demographic out. Yeah. And, and, and social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram as well. Look, I could just say it right here, everybody. You do a block party, people are going to show up. So, you know, Jim, do you see instances like this where people are taking initiatives into their own hands to get things done in their neighborhoods? Absolutely. I mean, we're working right now with 13 residents in 13 different neighborhoods to start neighborhood associations. When I first started in this job, um, we were lucky to have one or two a year. Um, so the demand is there. It's just making sure people understand where they can go to get their help. Metro council members are great, uh, you know, great for that. Um, so neighbor to neighbor, that's our, we were formed by neighborhood leaders for neighborhoods across Davidson County to help start and maintain neighborhood organizations. So we're, we're ready. If you're thinking about a neighborhood organization, come to us. Um, and I'll 
throw this plug in. This weekend is the Good Neighbor Day Festival, which is going to be held in Cedar Hill Park in Madison. Uh, And we're expecting about 5,000 good neighbors to come out uh, and really celebrate the importance of being a good neighbor and making a positive difference right where you live. So what would your advice to Carson be, who is interested in starting a neighborhood association? Carson, call me. Because <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot uh, there, there's a process for getting started, uh, and and we are going to be there to be right beside you, not to do the work, but to support you in doing the work that's necessary to get a group started. All right, Tiffany. I'll definitely be in touch. Okay, excellent. We're making connections on this is Nashville. This is what we do, everybody. Tiffany, tell me, what do you want people to know? about the importance of neighborhood associations to our city and our county? Well, uh, neighborhood associations are truly the unsung heroes of our community. They do a lot of things that we just, as just daily residents, we do not see. (laughs) Um, You know, whether it's the abandoned car or the trashed lots or, advocating for zoning change or vice versa or holding developers accountable those kind of things um really fall into the peer view of the neighborhood associations and so if you're if you're looking in your neighborhood for one um and you don't see one just like carson you know consider starting one or at least if there is one join and you know, just make your community better. That's what neighborhood associations are all about. For homeowners and renters alike. Yes. That is Tiffany Archer of the North Nashville Organization for Community Improvement. She was joined by South Nashville resident Carson Cooper and Jim Hawk, president of Neighbor to Neighbor. Thanks to you all for being with us today. Really appreciate it. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, Bisexual people make up the largest proportion of the LGBTQ community, but are sometimes the least visible. We'll learn how they make connections in community. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Look, our show has only been possible because of your support. We're in the midst of our fall fun drive. Actually, there's six hours left in our fall fun drive, and we need you to step up and to make your contribution and donation now at thisisnashville.org. And while you're there, you can listen back to all of your favorite episodes of the show. Our producers are Steve Harouche and Rose Gilbert and Mr. Tony Gonzalez. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to our digital producer this week, Cindy Abrams. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>